when, uh, when Kelly and I uh, came back last weekend, we were out of town at a conference. We, um, we got in, and uh, I'm always excited to come to church and to see everybody, even the 9 o'clock service, where you have to get warmed up a little bit. But uh, it was interesting for me because when I, uh, I, I was in that little period between the services, and I was over here looking out one of the windows, and I just saw this amazing fellowship, you know, of Christians. The weather was a little bit nicer, so people had spilled out all around the auditorium. And out of every, literally out of every window, there was love, and there was encouragement, and there was fellowship, and there was diversity, and there were people connecting with each other. It was really, really a meaningful, meaningful time, you know, for me. I actually... Kelly and I had just come back from Orlando, uh, that place where once a few people wished upon a star, and they built a magic kingdom. Do you know, have you discovered yet that the kingdom of God, that the body of Christ is in fact a magic kingdom? It's special. It's magic. There are things that happen here that really don't happen anywhere else, and it's, it's a place where dreams really come true where young men and women have visions and older people still have dreams. And, you know, don't we all have dreams? In our newsletter this morning, as we tie into these next several weeks when we're, we're exploring, you know, an overarching theme of a million dreams as it leads us to continue to dream and to move forward and expand our vision here in the body of Christ here at North River and our fellowship of churches here in Atlanta, Southeast and around the world. Hey, I mean, what parent does not have dreams for your children or grandparent for your grandkids? My grandkids are in town. They got in last night. Oh, my goodness. So I'm tired. Okay, nonstop. And these guys stay up till 11, and I'm supposed to look over my sermon notes, so bear with me a little bit this morning, okay? But we got dreams. And, you know, the dreams of all those children that we saw, the dreams of people of, you know, of every age, yeah, in town's got some dreams, okay, to do big things for God. In that place, have their own space to meet someday. Maybe a string of coffee houses or whatever is in vogue, you know, over the next few years. Okay, and their dreams in the east. In the east, I just had a wonderful service, and they're planning the next one. And, and you know, our, our, our little kids have dreams. Our high school and our middle school students, what a great new creation as Jaden was baptized on, on Wednesday night and so many of us got to see this. Their dreams of every age group, we've got it. Their dreams, the Ivies were just here and they shared about dreams for uh, Tennessee and for Knoxville and for the Southeast and all these things that we try to do and we sacrifice for in Generosity Sunday. Every year, it's to, to have dreams still dreaming about the world, about other countries, about smaller churches, about our children and about our faith and about our marriages, and about, you know, it's, uh, you know, if you stop dreaming, you just lose something very, very important that God has put into our life. We've got dreams about the swamp. We've got dreams about so many, many things. It, um, you know, Douglas takes a couple of minutes when he speaks to us, and he gives us a little, you know, bit of a tour of where he's been. 
I actually don't go places. I'm kind of boring. You know, I usually just hang around here. But I do get out of town occasionally for some conferences, okay? And the one in Orlando was a very special time. It's actually three conferences in one that Kelly and I participated. On one hand, there was a gathering of the evangelists of churches, over a thousand, you know, members in our fellowship of churches. And they came from all over the world, and we had a tremendous time sharing ideas and challenges we all mutually face and dreams that we have together. And then there was also, you know, uh, the, the service committees were meeting. I'm on the campus service committee along with Kelly and their service committees for the elders and for the evangelists and for the teachers and administrators. And, and, and they got together and we talked about, okay, what are some next steps we can take as a fellowship of churches to try to communicate more, to work together more, to embrace diversity, a very powerful three hours together that was optional for people to come together to, to, to talk about diversity, a diversity forum that just moved hearts, you know, caused tears. We just stayed there till 11 o'clock at night for about four hours. It was powerful time as everyone is trying to, to grapple with how we can be a light, a true city, you know, on a hill. It was, it was a, such a meaningful, meaningful time, you know, for, uh, you know, for all of us. And, you know, it's important to remember, okay, I'm, I'm closing out my little review here. But it's important to remember, we are a global fellowship. We, we, we have a, a global family, a spiritual family. And when you lose that, you lose an awful big piece of how God is moving, not only in the hearts of individuals and families, but in the world. He's got a plan. He always has a, had, had a plan for the world. You like to go to Walmart? Walmart's cranking. They're in 19 countries. How about Starbucks? Anybody take a little chai latte, you know, or your, your drink of choice, you know? Starbucks has got it going there in 64 countries. The Big Mac. They set a pace for a long time, haven't they? 119 nations. And our fellowship of churches is in 164 countries. If you're applauding, you obviously are applauding for whom? For God. Putting dreams in the heart of his people. And some of you were, were in gatherings like this when it was one country. Okay? And, 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 and we've sacrificed, so many of you, hundreds of thousands of dollars. Probably took us about $250 million to get where we are, you know, right now over the years in these 164, you know, countries and these 169 or so churches. And sometimes, you know, younger generation, even, even some of our own kids wonder, why are you guys so fired up about this? Because we are, and we've invested a lot, our lives We've tried, we've had ups and downs, right? But we've invested. We've invested and sacrificed pretty much every year that we've been a Christian, not just for our little local congregation, but for our global family and to help grow and expand it. It's a magic kingdom. But what it really is, it just started such a long, long time ago because aren't you Aren't we all getting it when we read through the book of Exodus that God has always had a million dreams for his people? He always had this goal of bringing the nations together. He's always had this goal of righteousness, you know, flooding over the earth. He's always had this goal. Well, he, he did in the book of Exodus. He, he pulled on out two million dreams. 
two million people out of Egyptian bondage. And he, he, he led them out. He delivered them. He redeemed them. And he led them to the brink and the verge of the promised land. You know, we're, we're in the book of Exodus, right? Have you discovered that's the second book in the Bible? It's a good place to start for you beginners. We got Genesis and we got Exodus. Genesis, honestly, is more about, about man. It reveals the need of mankind. It's about the creation of man. It's about the fall of man. It's about the sin of man. It's about mankind kind of groping for God and groping for meaning, you know, in this journey, meandering journey through time that he was taking. Now, Exodus, Exodus is all about God. God is the central character in the book of Exodus, and we've been discovering that, and we've been, we've been zeroing in. We've only gone through about 14 or 15 chapters, but we're getting so much of the big picture story that God has and, and adds so much meaning for me and you and our experience in Christ and our experience in our relationship with God. Exodus is God's answer to man's need. It's God's supply for man's sin and rebellion. It started a Immediately with God's activity and the preservation and call of Moses, this little baby that God had strategically placed all of this in his plan. And you see his work in a mighty way. The theme of the book of Exodus is redemption. You know, it's God's activity to restore all mankind, me and you. We understand what God is actually doing for you and for me in a deeper way. In our own Christian walk, when we grasp the message of God's activity and his plan in Exodus in the Old Testament, and when you see Jesus in the Old Testament, and we, uh, we, we, we see him in no, uh, in no greater sense than when we talk about the Passover, Pascha. That word uh, that really, you know, translators, you know, back in the old King James, you know, era, translated Easter, which we heard last week is actually a pagan term. It's not a great one. Passover, the Christian Passover, of course, is much more, you know, what uh, in, in line with the scriptures, you know, here. It's, uh, and, and we did Passover one, we're doing Passover two. Doug zeroed on one verse last week, so I have the permission, obviously, to zero in on one verse as well. And it's a powerful verse. You know, when men want to change the world, they basically try it and have for centuries with a battle or a ballot box. When God wants to change history, he sends a baby. With Moses and that miraculous way that he dealt in bringing Moses at just the right place and just the right time. And you know, we're all bright enough in here and we know the rest of the story to know that God did exactly the same thing. He started things off by sending a little baby. We, we've been thinking about that, you know, between the lines for the last three months. Christmas, the birth of Jesus, we sing songs about it, carols about it. The kids get up and sing about it. It's the birth of this baby who would have ever thought God, you know, concentrated in, the, in, in a little bambino and that he was going to be God's agent of salvation for the world. And we see his life in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, and it leads on up to next week 
Easter, Passover, the Christian Passover. And, 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 and think, you know, I, can't, I think at this point in our study, it's time to slip the Bible on off, the Old Testament off the side, and in what many Christians call Holy Week this week, start looking at Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, especially the last few chapters, where we see, you know, this, this march of Jesus. He's resolute. He has to get to Jerusalem because he, he must die for our sins. He must be that ultimate Passover lamb. We'll have Good Friday as we commonly call it, this Friday. Hopefully for you and me, this will be more than, hey, we're getting off to a jump start on Cobb County, you know, vacation week. But it'll be something where we really think about the price that was paid for me and you to even sit in our auditorium like this, much less ever think about being at the great wedding feast of God. And then it culminates in Resurrection Sunday. And it's all, it's, it, it's, it's in all the pages and all the books of the Bible. It's a little bit hidden and it gets revealed in the New Testament. And you get to see some of this playing out in our eyes, of course, in the book of Exodus. How about we open up our Bibles now, okay? I said one verse, but I know you guys, you're going to be looking over other verses in chapter 12. And that's great. Okay, you can get the whole context, and there's no way you haven't read this already. Okay, and Douglas read a lot of these verses, you know, as well, about the Passover and everything that this meant. The book of Exodus, I mean, definitely Moses, you know, is that central human character, and you see God mightily, you know, putting his life and the, uh, his future together as that little baby was born, his 80 years Later, until he really begins his ministry. That's amazing. But actually, the book of Exodus is divided or centered around four big time events. And as we continue our study and continue reading, you know, you'll be able to see some of the others. The first one, obviously, is Passover. That's that first big event that we've been spending two weeks talking about. Secondly, very closely associated with it, is this deliverance of, of God's people uh, as they cross the Red Sea in quite a miraculous and powerful way. The third great event, obviously, is the giving of the law, okay, the, uh, and, and, and the Bible traces this along. And in, um, you know, John chapter 1, it says that, you know, uh, that, that through Moses, the law came and grace and truth came through Jesus. And he was the fulfillment of the law. But it was, it was God shaping and molding and raising his, you know, his people and his children and giving them the boundaries, you know, the lanes to be able to go uh, to stay in for their own protection. And then, you know, there's a building project. There's the, uh, the construction of the tabernacle. Those are these really big-time events. Now, for the verse, okay, uh, last week, remember, Douglas used this 1211 in Exodus, and it was the idea about when you're making preparations for the Passover, and they are, they not, very specific, very detailed, which we'll get to in a minute. You, you ignore the details of the Scripture at your own peril, absolutely, whether it's short-term or long-term pain. But it's very, very specific, and those who followed the instruction in a very specific way, even Egyptians 
which will kind of blow your mind. Those who are really close, you know, to God's people and, uh, you know, followed, you know, their kind of example is, is the passage on this, on this Passover. You eat it in haste. It's the Lord's Passover. And you remember what the point was last week? It's that there needs to be an urgency on my part and your part, uh, part to get out of Egypt and stay out of Egypt, to get out of the world and stay out of the world. And we get to close out the service in one of our favorite ways where uh, we see a young woman baptized into Christ, connecting with the death of Jesus. You know, she's actually the sister of one of our new Christians, Kiana. And Kyler, we're going to see her new life, you know, begin in just, a, in just a short while. But Kyler, you are not just coming into Christ. You're coming out of the world. You're in the world, but not of the world. And there is a urgency about it. And Douglas had a little grit to him last Sunday, didn't he? I mean, pretty challenging, you know, on some things because that's the point of the passage. When you see what God wants you to do, you do it quickly and in haste and don't procrastinate. And probably there's some of us in the auditorium that need to, you know, act on that even yet, you know, during this what we call Holy Week. My verse Two verses later, if you're right there in Exodus chapter 12, the blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destruction, no destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. That's the verse. It's about the blood. There is no forgiveness of sins without what, church? Without the shedding of blood. Old Testament, really, is powerful. It's wonderful. You learn so much, but it's a shadow of the real thing to come. Of Jesus dying on the cross. We'll have communion in a minute. You'll take that little cup. The idea is it's not a mid-morning snack. The idea is this represents the blood of Jesus. I like to, in communion, sometimes put a little drop of it on my finger and just see, you know, the blood of, 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 of Jesus was on my hands, you know, as well. Without the shedding of blood and without following God's instructions, there is no forgiveness of sins for anybody. We'll get there because this is not anymore about Moses, about David, about Elijah. As great as they are, it's not about Muhammad. It's about Jesus. It's about the one and only one whose blood can cause the, 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 the consequences of sin to be passed over in our life, in our friend's life. And that's why we call it the Church of Christ. Whether you use that, you know, terminology in your front door or not, and that's why we call ourselves followers of Christ. It's the great Christ, you know, theme in the Old Testament and in each one of our lives. Hey, aren't you glad your sins have been passed over? A big amen on that one. You know, if um, uh, th th this is this is uh, this is very strong, what we're going to be, uh, be be looking at, and we'll go quickly. But I, I I do hope we'll study this out in a deeper way. Here's a a little bit more of the fuller context. Okay, as you're looking in your Bible, you know that same night. 
This is what God says. I will pass through Egypt. And this is a very ominous, very, very dramatic statement that's being made. It's no longer just about flies or gnats or locusts or dead cows or the Nile turning, turning red or some hail falling down and beating on everybody who wasn't at midweek that, you know, that, that night. If you, were, if you weren't here last week, you have to listen to Douglas and you'll get the reference. It's not about that stuff. This is about your firstborn dying tomorrow, dropping dead. As God tried over and over and over again to get, you know, just an obstinate, you know, people and represented by their Pharaoh God, you know, the Pharaoh at the time, you know, to, call, to give him every opportunity to repent. But he says, you know, I'm going to bring judgment on the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign on your houses where you are. When I see the blood, I'll pass over you and no destructive plague will touch you. Here's something that is interesting. Did you notice now God's people, like us, they are now in exactly the same boat as the Egyptians? Before, they were protected in a collective sense from all of these plagues. Now, they must take action. The same thing is going to happen to them, even though they are God's people, if they do not do what he said. Do you see that? If they don't put the blood on their doorpost, if they kind of do their own, I don't think that's, that's kind of dumb. Let's take a chicken, put some chicken blood up there, or whatever. And they're kind of do, doing their own thing. They will have exactly the same end result as the Egyptians. That is kind of convicting, isn't it? Because occasionally Christians, like me and you, can get this thing like where we go, well, we got the grace of God. I mean, we're like clear. I got my passport or visa stamp, baby. I'll see you in heaven. The book of Hebrews will help you get a fuller understanding of how all of this works out, including a riveting verse that we'll look at before we take communion in just a few minutes. It's important to understand that all of us need to respond to God. We, uh, we like Israel, we must respond in faith as well. And so we get these very explicit directions. You know, what kind of animal to kill, where to put the blood, how to, how to make this Passover meal with the herbs, you know, when to start it, you know, how to be ready, you know, when we eat it. It's just we won't go into all of that that we've already read, you know, here. And on the night of the Passover, if the blood of the lamb was spread on the doorpost of the home and the people feasted on the lambs, you know, roasted our goats, you know, flesh with these herb, bitter herbs and unleavened bread, uh, if they were ready to go at a moment's notice, you know, on this journey, if that blood were spread on their do doorpost, the Lord passed over that house and there was no plague on that household. God's judgment would fall on the Passover lamb and not his people. Following the Passover, the Israelites are going to exit Egypt. We've seen it. They're liberated from slavery now and out of, out of the bondage. They're delivered actually from death, even through the Red Sea. This event basically marks the beginning of Israel's new life as God's redeemed people and in many ways the kingdom of God as we've come to know it, you know, today, as God now is working powerfully in a people to take them into the promised land and for them to be a blessing to all nations.
the Passover here, and we're going to bring it into our own personal experience as Christians. The Passover is, is a game-changing, history-altering act of God. It's to be remembered. And a powerful Christ imagery pointing to the Passover lamb who is to come. The New Testament writers, they make this connection between Jesus' crucifixion and the Passover very explicit as you read through the scriptures, particularly in uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the apostles as they write the letters explaining in even greater depth what all of this, what all of this means. I mean, Palm Sunday, I guess you can call this Palm Sunday. It's actually just leading up to the great Passover. Okay, it's helping us really meditate and think about everything that Jesus did for us and what he would ultimately do in becoming our Passover lamb. You remember what John said when he first saw, you know, uh, you know Jesus. John the Baptist sees Jesus and he says, look, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is the lamb. He is the sacrifice from the very beginning of his ministry. You know, John the Baptist saw it. Others would understand it. Even Jesus' closest friends and disciples, as time went on. And do you know how powerful this, this, really, you know, this really is? The, um, Jesus' death and resurrection, it, it's actually going to inaugurate a, a kind of new exodus and it's going to be a, a freedom from the bondage this time of our own sin or even our guilt of sin and, and, and ourself. We'll be able to be free, be able to take up the cross of Christ and to be able to deny ourselves and be able to be transformed. And isn't that good news? Don't you really hate it when you just can't get past yourself? You can't stop talking about yourself. You got these chains of yourself sometimes, and your sin just seems to cling so closely. And yet through Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, you know, that can be passed over. That can be changed. That can be transformed. It's this new exodus. It's coming out of bondage when we become a Christian and when we stay walking there in, uh, in the light. Don't you remember this? Here's an old grizzled apostle the Apostle Paul, and as he considers the Passover lamb, and as he considers what happened on the cross that good Friday, not so good for Jesus' friends and the people around him, but incredibly good for me and you. And when Paul thought about this, and he's writing his letters, it didn't matter where he was, in jail, on a boat, praying on a beach with some people, preaching in a synagogue, in an open square, you know, he said, may I never boast about anything except what? The cross of Jesus Christ, which means, by the way, the, uh, the world has been crucified to me and I've been crucified to the world. It's a new life, right? That's what the cross is, is all about. I've been delivered. Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that live but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We used to sing that song when I was in college. I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. 
Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, and the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's Christianity. For me to live is Christ, Paul said in Philippians 1.21, and to die is gain. Colossians 3, 1 through 4, Christ who is our life. And when he appears, we will appear with him in glory. In 2 Timothy chapter 5, 14, for the love of Christ, what? Compels us because we're convinced that one has died for all, the Passover lamb. And therefore all have died. How did we die? You remember? You remember when you died? With Christ in baptism? Connected to the cross, not just believing in the cross, not just thanking God for his grace, but actually getting connected with it when by faith making Jesus Lord, you are baptized into Christ and raised to a new life. Hallelujah. Amen. We'll never take that one for, you know, for granted, you know, in our lives. And, and maybe one of the most uh, powerful of all, that's actually chapter uh, Ephesians chapter 2 and verses 13 through 16, I believe. We'll try to correct that, you know, for the next service. This is, this is powerful. Each one of these wonderful epistles draw things back to the Lamb, to the cross. And here, the dividing wall of hostility, because you know the nations are, are hostile to each other. Tribes and cultures and races, you know, are at strife and are not tight, you know, together. From Christ, once of you who are far away have now been brought near. Well, how? By the blood of Christ. He himself is our peace because he has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. His purpose was to create in Christ one new man, one new humanity, thus making peace and to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. Anybody notice we live in a pretty, uh, a pretty divided world, even in our country? We had a shooting a couple of days ago that dramatically, once again, you know, illustrated this. People in Atlanta particularly thought, realized it because the Atlanta Hawks, the backdrop was a, you know, was a, was a basketball game in Sacramento. And it's just a, the ongoing litany of these kinds of things that have happened, you know, through the years. And it's so hard to get together. And it ha it's really, it's, it's in every country. It's, there's this division that we have, you know, that, that, that cuts across the board. We had this, this, this wonderful time that I mentioned earlier in Orlando with about 100 leaders and in a very heartfelt way talking about, you know, the, the ways that we can take it deeper in our churches and understanding each other. And not only being in the same building together, which is dramatic in and of itself, and, and, and people, anyone who comes into our church immediately recognize it. But to really go deeper, to truly be able to, to, to fully understand each other. It's a very powerful thing. And actually what it becomes is a light on the hill. Do you know that American version of Christianity has done very little to help this? Unfortunately. Because it's not really focused on the cross. It's focused on all the benefits we can get. 
from being in this XYZ church or my personal walk with God. But it doesn't permeate, you know, in all of our relationships. You know, in these, uh, some of the things that are reported there, on Sunday morning, you've heard this kind of thing, on Sunday morning in America, 94% of black Americans worship in a black church. Which notices that. 99% of all white people worship in a church that is viewed as a, as a white church. That's not good. That, that, that just really points something out. That's not what they did in the first century where they had, okay, you Jews have your church and you Gentiles have your church. We were all together and it blew people literally away. But laws and policies and hiring policies will never change the heart. It never has. It never will. We had a wonderful meeting yesterday at the old Marietta Diner with Ben Barnett and Jeff and Kendall and I. And we were talking about ways that we can work together closely as churches and ways that we can help each other grow, you know, in this area and, you know, you know in, in our lives. At one time, a generation ago, our churches were noted for our discipleship. It was very, very distinctive. I remember some of you, people weren't talking about being disciples and having discipleship workshops and writing all these books, okay? Honestly, God used, you know, our fellowship of churches to really emphasize this, discipling. And, you know, but now it's actually very much in vogue. All, many churches talk about that. They actually are quite more organized than we are, you know, and better at writing books and putting on conferences and other kinds, you know, of things. And so it's, uh, although it's biblical, it's not as distinctive as it used to be. Do you know what is distinctive? You know what is distinctive about our fellowship of churches around the world, about, thankfully, by God's grace, the church here, is what it looks like when we come to worship together. We are one. We are many different kinds of people, many different generations, many different cultures, many different races, but we, the cross of Jesus, has brought us together, and we're just going to want to get closer and closer together. It is a light on a hill. It will be more and more so as we continue to grow because it's all from the cross. Our baptism from the cross. The way we live day to day from the cross. You know that we can be united and we can be tight and we can be close with each other, with, with disciples from other nations. It comes from the cross. It comes all because of what Jesus did on that cross you know, for, for us. Another beautiful verse for you to write down in your notes and look at it again. And Jesus nailed all of this stuff to the cross when he died for our sins. Just a note of caution as we close out. Do not profane the blood of Jesus. If we go on sinning after we become a Christian, according to the scriptures here, no, not, no sacrifice for sins is left. If you rejected the law of Moses, you, you know, it was big time bad. Okay, as you read through Exodus and the rest of the Bible. How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified them, and has insulted the Spirit of grace? We don't have to labor on this point, but we all understand it. The Passover, the blood, it's a precious thing. It's how we can take communion now and be right with God, not just go through another ritual. Help us always.
appreciate what God has done, what he, what he did with our brothers and sisters for such a long time ago with his first Passover, and that we can experience the blood of Christ continually cleansing us from all sins. And as we have, take communion here, uh, I hope you'll reflect on this. And above everything else, has a, have a deep gratitude in your heart that through Jesus, the Passover lamb, what he went through for all of us on this Good Friday, you know, has caused our sins to be forgiven, to be passed over. And may we have the heart that our early Christian brothers and sisters had to know that for me to live is Christ and the cross helped me to never boast in anything except what God has done for us together. Let's pray together. Father, it's just um, well, it's a miracle that we could even be here this morning and that we could be right with you. And we know it's not from ourselves, it's from you. And we just want to say thank you from the bottom of our heart for passing over our sins and for doing in Jesus what we could never do for ourselves. Lord, please, as we take this communion, help the love of Christ to always compel us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.